0: Well, good morning, church family. Hello, hello. It is good to be with all of you guys here today as we open up God's word together. Man, it's been incredible this morning to be able to worship Jesus uh, together, to sing uh, to him, to uh, let the cry of our hearts uh, be made known to him and made known to one another as well. And uh, here we are. We're stepping back in today to uh, the book of Philippians, um, which has been just an incredible journey so far. And uh, it's going to be fun today. We had fun at the 9, and uh, you guys have had plenty of coffee. You've been up for plenty of hours, so I expect us to have fun with one another. You guys good with that? Yes, it's going to be a great morning. Well, in Philippi, uh, there is this community of Jesus followers uh, where the gospel has been preached. People have believed. A church has been planted. uh, And Paul, who is in Rome at this time, is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, And he is encouraging them to continue to live uh, a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, We've walked through uh, Philippians chapter one already, and that's really kind of the big theme of that chapter, uh, that we would live a life that is worthy of the calling that Jesus has placed on our life. Uh, In Philippi, they're they're an interesting community. Uh, They are in a city, a colony, a Roman colony, uh, where uh, the people in that colony are fiercely loyal Uh, to Caesar. They're fiercely loyal to Rome. Many of the people who settled in Philippi uh, were given lands after long careers of military service or uh, working in government or working as merchants that were faithful uh, and loyal to Rome. And so this is a city or a town that is very, very loyal uh, to Caesar and loyal to uh, Rome's way of life. And in the midst of that, there's this uh, group of followers of Jesus who are saying, okay, uh, in, in a culture that is surrounding me where people are like, oh man, Caesar's the best. He's awesome. Uh, and we are recognizing that actually, no, Jesus is Lord And there's no one like him. You know, this is as uh, emperor worship was really beginning to take off in Rome and people were not just looking at Caesar as a leader, but as God himself. And these Christians are saying, no, 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 no. Uh, God became flesh, dwelt among us, and his name is Jesus And so Paul is writing to this community of of Jesus followers saying, okay, this is what it looks like to live Jesus' way for his kingdom and for his glory in the midst of a generation, a culture of people that are bent on a completely different kingdom. Uh, a kingdom that does not honor God, does not live for Jesus. And so uh, Paul is encouraging this church. This is a church of generally, as far as we can tell, faithful followers of Jesus. And Paul is writing this letter to to really encourage them in their faith. This is why Philippians is one of the the most encouraging books of the Bible. There's no like major heresy that uh, Paul is getting after or no crazy uh, behavior in the church that he is rebuking. He's just encouraging them to keep getting after it for Jesus. And so if you're looking for a a book of the Bible to read in the morning before you go uh, to work or into your discouraging day, maybe, uh, you know, you're living at home with kids and uh, like my wife, you have a toddler at home and every idea you have is the worst— If that's your world, Philippians is a great place to start uh, your day. And so why don't we grab our Bibles? We're going to jump into the book of Philippians together. We're going to start in chapter 2. The text that we're walking through today is uh, verses 12 through 14. But I want to actually start a little bit uh, further up in uh, chapter 2 and starting in verse 1. Because as Paul leads us into where we're going today, our text today He's going to really point the the, the Philippian church and us as we are reading uh, the New Testament, the word of God uh, here today, he's going to point us uh, in order to live this life for this king, for this kingdom, we got to look at the king, we got to know how the king lives, we got to know what the king is about, we got to know what the king values, the way uh, that the king has come to lead his people. And In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul is saying here, this is how I want you to treat one another, but it's not just like based on good ethics or good morals, it's based on how the king lived. So let's look at uh, verse 1 together, and we're going to read through it until we get to our text today. So Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, is there? Oh yeah. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is completely counter to the Roman culture, completely counter to the culture of the emperor. He says, look, uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. It's completely counter to the culture in which we live, right? The culture that says, look out for number one, uh, go uh, uh, produce and go consume and go live your best life now. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to invite you into this. In verse five, Paul points us to what Jesus is saying. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in... Christ Jesus. He's pointing us at Jesus, our Lord, our King, who, though he was in the form of God, fully God, second person of the Trinity, uh, in heaven, in glory, in the form of God, uh, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but instead he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. So here we see this exalted King Jesus, whose exaltation came by way of humiliation. So, so this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the I Am, the beginning and the end, the one who was given the name above every other name, the name Yahweh, that at his name every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. His exaltation came by way of humiliation. Wow. What Paul is saying is, Philippian church, Mosaic, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this is the way that our King lives, right? This is what Paul is inviting us into to stare at Jesus and say, okay. If this is my king and this is the kingdom that he is putting into place here on earth and in the age to come, I'm gonna to begin to live my life in view of who he is and what he's done for me in the way that I interact with him and the way that I interact with others. And so Paul continues in verse 12, and that's, that's the context where we're at. That's the framework that Paul is giving us. You wanna know how to live? Look at? Yes. You'll be convinced by the end of our time together, I hope. <laughs> So Paul says in verse 12, therefore, anytime we see the word therefore in scripture, we know it's therefore reasons so and we got to go look and see what is, what is it there for? And Paul is saying, therefore, because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of his life, because of example, because of everything that we know about our King, therefore, my dear friends, I love Paul's affection for the Philippian church. He's encouraging them. He says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue. I love that, that Paul is starting this off with encouragement saying, listen, you're looking looking at Jesus. You're living for the King. You're living for the kingdom. And I can tell you're doing that, but don't be satisfied with where you're at. Stay on the path. Stay on the journey. Keep it up. You're doing great. Continue. You've been obedient while I was with you and I'm far away now. I'm I'm in prison in Rome and I'm looking at where you're at and I'm hearing good reports and I'm saying you're still obeying Jesus. That's awesome. But don't stop where you're at. How many of us could be a little bit more like Jesus uh, than we are currently, right? And that's what Paul is starting off here. Like "You're, you're, you're doing great, but continue. Don't stop. Don't be satisfied, continue. What does he say to continue to do? He says, continue to work out your own salvation. Work it out, work out your salvation. And I think a lot of times when when we come to a verse like this, I think especially for people who may not know Jesus at all or maybe we're new in the faith or maybe we have some background in, in, in religious activities and we, we see the word work and we, we see the word salvation and we start thinking, oh, better do some good works for my salvation. Is that what Paul is saying? No, I set you up for that, right? <laughs> easy answer. No, that's not what Paul, he's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work it out. He's saying recognize what God has done for you. Look at your salvation. Flesh out the implications of your salvation, or as our lead pastor would say, flush out. It's flesh out, not flush out, Renaud. But see, now we have this secret. We know that every time Renaud says flush out, he's saying flush, like flushing a toilet. And you'll never be able to unhear that at this point <laughs> in your life. So Paul is saying flush out your salvation. No, flesh out your salvation. Work it out. Think about it. Look into it. Every morning when you wake up, you look in the mirror, you brush your teeth, think about who God is and what he has done for you and what he's done for me. That God who is fully God and had no need to come and take part in humanity. He took on human flesh to be our Emmanuel, our God with us, to dwell among us, to live the life that we should have lived, bearing his image, but we didn't. We disobeyed and dishonored God. We rebelled against God. We've sinned against God and each other. But Jesus, he came and he took on human flesh and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he died a sinner's death on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for you and for me. He did that for us. He accomplished everything that would be required for our salvation. There's nothing that we can do that can add to it, but we can respond to it. We can live a life in response to who Jesus is, to what he has done. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says, work out your salvation. And we, we don't work out our salvation flippantly like, yeah, you know, God, he uh, became flesh, dwelt among us, lived perfect life, uh, died a sinner's death, just so that I could have salvation and eternal life in him. It's cool. I just go about my life like nothing has changed. No, he's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Come to the table and recognize that it is a big deal that God has done what he has done. It is a huge deal that while we were yet sinners, while we were, were his enemies, that Jesus died for us. That's gigantic. That's earth shattering. It's life changing. It's everything. That, that God would become a man for our salvation. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so we come to this reality with a recognition of the the awesome nature of God's love for us, the incredible wonder of his love for us, the beauty of his love for us, the beauty of the goodness of our God is unfathomable and we can take the rest of our lives scratching it, fathoming it, right? We can live the rest of our lives in awe and reverent worship of the goodness of our God, and this is the kind of fear and trembling that the apostle Paul is talking about. We know from scripture, first John says that, that perfect love casts out all fear. And, and so what we understand as we interpret scripture with Scripture is that Paul is not saying, we want you to be afraid of God. We don't want you to come afraid of God and which, because what do we do when we're afraid? We, we either do one of two things, we fight or we flight. Okay, we fight. It is not a good idea to fight with God, right? It's not gonna go well. And we also run away from God. Uh, just ask Jonah, that's not, that's not gonna be good if you run away from God. And what Paul is saying is that we, we should draw near to God in light of our salvation as we work out our salvation with this awe and reverent worship. The, the Bible says in Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is a good thing, but we're not called to be afraid of God, but we're called to have reverent worship as we draw near to him, recognizing that apart from Jesus and his work, that we could not approach a righteous and holy God and be in relationship with him. But because of Jesus, because of what he's done, we can draw near to him. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, Abba, Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven, And we can draw near to God with awe and reverent worship, with fear and trembling of just how incredible our salvation is and how incredible our God is who has given us this salvation. And we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we recognize that what God has done for us is so great. And it is so life-changing and it is so earth-shattering and it changes everything about us. In fact, Second Corinthians five seventeen, Paul writes that when, whenever anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You guys know your Bibles; the old is gone, and the new has come. So we're completely made new that as we work out our salvation, it is pressing into that. It is recognizing that it's, it's that we have this new nature and our old nature, our sinful nature, it's gone. It's been crucified with Christ. It no longer lives, but instead Christ lives in us. And so when we begin to get a hold of that, when we begin to recognize that and we, be, we begin to live in light of that, it changes everything. We don't just drag our old nature along like it's a pet. We crucify the sinful nature. We crucify the flesh and we press into the new creation that Jesus has affected for us. Um, I have a friend, really good friend, friend, um, We went to Einstein Bagels back in the day. Uh, Do you remember Einstein Bagels? Are they around still? I think this is in the east side. We don't have any nearby. But uh, we went to Einstein Bagels and it was lunchtime. And he was like, hey, I'm gonna order a pizza bagel and I'm gonna order a chocolate chip bagel. Sounds like a good idea. A little bit of pizza, a little bit of dessert, you know? So the person taking his order mishears him and he's like, oh, yeah, pizza and chocolate chip. It's like kind of a little lunch, a little dessert. Like, yeah, all in one. And, and my friend was like, yeah, uh, yes, a little, little lunch and a little dessert. Sure. So he gets to, you know, to the table and then they call his name. He comes up, he gets his bagel and there's just one of them. Not two. He ordered two. There's just one and it is a pizza chocolate chip bagel. Okay, straw poll, real quick. How many of you guys are send it back sort of people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. I ain't eating no pizza, chocolate chip. First of all, he orders two bagels, only gets one, so it's not enough food. Second of all, it is nasty, right? And I, I, I am a send it back kind of guy. You know, I'm like, hey, we ordered this, we paid for this, I'm sorry for the miscommunication. I don't think Einstein's gonna go broke if you make me a new bagel, you know what I mean? Uh, I always do it with kindness, Trepidation, right? A little fear and trembling, right? Because I don't want to have any spit on my bagel or anything like that. And I will say, hey, for those of you who work in the food service industry, thank you for what you do. Uh, you take so much guff from people. It's for some I've ever use guff in a sermon. But you take so much from people, and you live servant uh, servant lives. So I appreciate that. But I'm a send it back kind of person. Now, my friend, he was not a send it back kind of guy. He was like, a, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make any trouble for anybody. I'm like offering to buy him a new bagel. And uh, we're just sitting there and everyone who's with, we are in a group and everyone's like, dude, we will, we will help you. We will make this right. And so he's sitting there, he's eating this bagel and he's just like, I'm just going to eat my shame. <laughs> and so we're like dying laughing, like, oh my gosh. But so often, this is kind of how we think about the world in which we live and God has tried to give us, It is not tried, he has given us a new nature. He, he's given us that, that beautiful bagel, whether it was the pizza that you wanted or the chocolate chip or both, he's given, it, he's given you this new nature and you're like, I kinda, wanna, I kinda wanna mix the two together. I kinda wanna stick with the old, a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new, sounds good, but in reality, we're just sitting here going, I'm eating my shame. Because we go back and we get we get caught up in the world, we get caught up in the the, the temptations of this life, the cares of this life, we get caught up in the things that we see, the circumstances we find ourselves in. And it's so easy. I do it, you do it, we do it. And yet Jesus is saying, Hey, I've done something for you that changes everything. If you'll just step in it, you'll just walk in it. I've gone first, and you respond. And so this idea of working out our salvation with fear and trembling is this concept of digging into what Jesus has done and living our lives in response to that. Not trying to earn anything, but living in what God has already done for us. Living the life that Jesus has already purchased for us through the cross and resurrection. And so Paul continues just in case we were to come to that and forget that that we need to press into God's work. If we here work out our salvation with fear and trembling and we think, okay, that's me. I've got to go do all the work. I've got to press in. I've got to strive. I've got to make it happen. I've got to make it work. If we were to read verse uh, 12 alone and forget verse 13, we could maybe be drawn into that conclusion. But Paul makes that impossible by the spirit of God. As he writes verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Man, there's a lot in just that one verse. There's a lot in that. And every single word matters for it is God who works in you. It's him first He's the first agent. He's the one that's acting first. He is working in you and in me. If you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has given you his Holy Spirit who is at work in your life. In fact, Jesus, while he was on planet Earth said, it is better for you that I go. Why? Because if I go, then I will send. Who? the Spirit of God, the helper, the paraclete, the one who will come and live within us and that will work within us to make us more and more and more like Jesus every single day. That it is God who works in us. He's first. And then we respond to his work. And I love what Paul says, that that it's God who works in us both to will And to act. One thing that is so beautiful about Christianity, as you look at all the made up false religions, the man-made religions that are in the world today, all religion is gonna tell you how to get better, do better, work harder in order to get to what the end goal of whatever that religious experience is. But Christianity is so different. Jesus is so different. The one true God of the universe is so different. Because he goes first, he accomplishes the work, and then he works within us, and then we respond. So he changes not only our actions, but also our will. He actually changes our desires. He changes what we want to do as we grow closer and closer to him. That is what the Holy Spirit's work is in us, is to draw us nearer to God, to point us to Jesus, to illuminate the word of God, to convict us of our sin, to draw us near for repentance, to be able to see who God is and to see what he has done. We have to draw near, we can't run away. And so the Spirit is constantly drawing us deeper and deeper and closer and closer and further up and further in, to quote C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Spirit of God is not allowing us to be satisfied with what we learned yesterday, the day before, the week before, the year before, the year before that. But the Spirit of God is working within us to transform our will so that we can act. But it's both. It's not just he changes our desires. Well, I really want to be obedient. I really want to, you know, but then no action behind it. And this is what James means. He's like, hey, show me your faith and I'll prove my faith by my works. We're not earning anything with our works, but we're responding. When we want something different, it changes the way that we live. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he demonstrated this. Jesus, the God-man, in the flesh, in the garden of Gethsemane, Anxious because he's about to walk up Calvary and die and absorb the wrath of God on our behalf. He goes to the father and he says, father, if there is any way, can we make a different plan? Can you remove this cup, this cup of your wrath that's gonna be poured out on me? Father, if there's any other way to remove this cup, let's take that way yet, not my will but yours be done. See, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, his human will was struggling as is natural with giving his life up for us on the cross and absorbing the wrath of God. Is that a natural struggle? 100%. And Jesus was struggling in that space and yet he submitted his will to the Father and said, change my will. Let me align my will to your will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And then what did Jesus do? He didn't stay in the garden, but he got up and he took his cross and walked up Calvary for our salvation. And so Jesus was able to both will and to act to fulfill his purpose. And you and I, in Christ, because we have the spirit of God living in us and the mind of Christ, you and I can also will and act according to his good purpose. St. Augustine uh, kind of talked about this, this kind of progression of the human experience uh, uh, 1,500 years ago. And he, he talks about before Christ, before we know Christ, we're not able to not sin. Before Jesus we're gonna sin, we're not able to not sin. But when we come to know Jesus as our savior, we are able now to not sin. That we are enabled by the spirit of God working in us. When we're looking at Jesus and squarely fixed on him, we are able to live in our will and in our actions for the purpose that he has made us for. To to live and to act according to God's purpose in our life. I look forward to a day, one day, Augustine points us to the future, to our shared future in Christ, where I will be not able to sin. (laughs) We're not there yet, amen? We're able to sin still, we can agree with that. We can still struggle between flesh and spirit. But what Paul is saying is that God has given us a new nature. And within that new nature, he is remaking us and reforming us and conforming us to his will and his desire for his life. That's what Romans 12, one and two talks about, that our spiritual act of worship is to present our lives as living sacrifices. Then we'll know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will as we are no longer uh, you know, going about the pattern of this world, but we are being what? Transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Because the spirit of God works within us and transforms us so that our mind aligns with the mind of Christ which is so incredibly beautiful. And what what Paul says is that God is at work in us both to will and to act. And this is not the end of this. The goal of this for God is not just our good behavior. It's not just that we would live and follow some sort of a a line. It's so that we would be able to live the purpose with which he has created us for. That that God is working in us to will and to act for what? For what? to fulfill the good purpose that he has for us. If you're here this morning and you have struggled with what your purpose is in this life, why you are on this planet, maybe you battled depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts. Maybe you've been in a space where, man, the enemy has just spoken lies to you, to your mind, and you've believed them over and over again and you're hanging on by a thread. Maybe you're here today. I, I want you to know today that God has an incredibly significant purpose for your life. How do you know, Joel? Well, you're made in his image. You're still breathing oxygen, right? You're made in his image. You're still alive. And for those of us who know Jesus, our purpose is so glorious because we have the opportunity to know God and then to make him known to others. And if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, we want you to know we are purposed in our desire for you to know him because he's changing us from the inside out. He's making us new. He's making us more like what we were originally intended to live like when God put us in the Garden of Eden. He's making us more like we were intended to be. And one day he will complete the work that he started in us. And that is a gloriously hopeful reality that can change everything, everything. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that we are his workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand in advance that we might walk in them. And that idea of workmanship, you've probably heard it before, especially if you've been at Mosaic, you've heard this. But that word workmanship, it's the Greek word poema, that, that we are God's story to the world, that we are his masterpiece to the world, that God is telling his story of salvation and redemption in and through our lives. And so when the spirit of God is conforming us to his will, the the spirit of God is moving us to action. He's doing that in order that we might be able to tell the story of redemption and salvation through our lives and through our words in every opportunity that, that God presents to us. And, and our life is full of purpose. Our life is full of significance, Our life is full of value, and our life is full of work uh, worth, especially when we know Jesus, especially when we know Jesus. And what Paul is saying is that this life that you are invited into can only be lived when we stare at Jesus, recognize who He is and what He's done, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We've, we think about the significance of our salvation. We think about how earth shattering it is and how life changing it is and how much, is it, how much it changes our nature. And then we begin to live out of that space, not in order to earn anything or to gain anything because that work has already been done in Christ, but to respond to what he's done and to participate so that we can live the life that we were meant to live. Amen? Amen. Eugene Peterson, he was a pastor um, in in our recent past. If you've read the message paraphrase of the Bible, he's the author of the message, credible scholar, incredible pastor. And he wrote a book, um, which is on this kind of this concept of uh, growing in Christ likeness. And the book is titled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. (laughs) I love that title. And I'll tell you why I love that title. I've been walking with Jesus now for almost two decades. Um, actually, just about, two, I'm 37, 17. So two decades, wow. I've been, I've been walking with Jesus and my wife can tell you I have not arrived. <laughs> she can testify. If you wanna know, you know, what, what does that guy struggle with? The list is long, okay? And yet Jesus is transforming me and he's making me more like himself, now, that journey is not always, you know, up and to the right, if you know what I mean. Like, it's not always an ever-growing, uh, ever ever-perfecting reality. Sometimes we take steps backwards. Sometimes we take steps to the right, to the left. Sometimes we struggle with sin. Sometimes we struggle in a moment. Sometimes we struggle for a month or a year. But the, the life of living with and for Christ, it really is, it is a long obedience in the same direction, where we're constantly coming back to the gospel and asking the question, what does it mean that Jesus came to save me? And Eugene Peterson in this book, I'm gonna close with a quote from him in this book because I think it so beautifully wraps up the heartbeat of the passage that we're in today. He says this, the truth about me is that God made me and loves me. It's so simple and beautiful, right? The truth about those sitting beside me is that God made and loves them. And each one is therefore my neighbor. The truth about the world is that God rules it and provides for it. The truth about what is wrong with the world is that I and the neighbor sitting beside me have sinned by refusing to let God be for us, over us, and in us. But... The truth about what is at the center of our lives and of human history is that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins and raised from the tomb for our salvation and that we can participate in new life as we believe in him, accept his mercy, respond to his love and attend to his commands. The basic conviction of a Christian is that God intends good for us and that he will get his way in us. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we can trust that you are at work, that you are at work in us, that you have done work to make us more like you, that you have done work in order to save us so that we can respond to that work. And we thank you for the confidence that we can have knowing that he who began that good work in us will be faithful to complete that work until the day, Jesus, we meet you face to face. So God, do your work. Spirit of God, do your work. Work within us transform us from the inside out, make us more like Jesus each day. Don't let us be satisfied with the things we've learned to obey, the things that we've learned to practice, the, the, the ways you have transformed our will and, and the ways that you've transformed our actions. Let us be glad for those things and yet not satisfied, desiring to be more and more like Jesus, our Savior, so that we can treat one another with love, kindness, goodness, that we would act towards one another the way that Jesus acted towards us, who lowered himself, who humbled himself and became obedient on our behalf, taking the form of a servant, humbling himself, even to the point of death on the cross. Jesus, we look to you. You are our king and this is your kingdom. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.